Hello, everyone. Hello. This is anime is for jerks. And this month, we are talking about the first half of Revolutionary Girl Utena, which was directed by Kunihiko Yokohara. Uh, it's from the late 90s. I actually thought this was an early 2000s joint, and then I looked at the Wikipedia, and it's actually from 97. I, I mean, you can you can tell by the animation. You can definitely tell by the style, but I thought I thought I like I, I thought it was like a two thousand or two thousand one kind of joint. Uh, okay, or, so just on the cu- on the cusp. On the cusp, I thought it was like a very early two thousands anime, but apparently not. So, Alex, I suspect your answer to this is the same as my answer to this. But what do you <laughs> think? H- how do you feel about this show? <laughs> Who the hell knows? Yeah, I have no fucking clue what to make of this. So last, so last, I should, we should. Okay, clear the air. I did, I did think the twenty third episode, which is, which is okay. So we originally planned on yes, watching the, the whole series, and then next month we plan on watching the adolescence of Utena. Uh, we a new twist, and it's never quite predict, it's quite predictable. Whereas Utena is highly predictable. You yeah. know, like every single except for okay. So let me let me let's finish setting up the premise. So Anthe is this is is this girl who she's called the Rose Bride by the student council. Utena doesn't understand why, and then Utena challenges Sionji, who's this green-haired prick, um, to a duel because uh, Wakaba wrote a love letter to Sionji, and Sionji threw it out, and then somebody posted it on the wall for everybody to see. And Wakaba was really embarrassed, so to defend her honor. Uh, to defend her girlfriend's honor, Utena decided to to challenge Sionji to a duel. Um, not realizing what that exactly means. Not realizing what that exactly meant. So they go into the woods, and they, a bunch of like some Japanese butt rock starts playing. Uh, <laughs> I listen every sing- I couldn't focus on any of the fight scenes in this show because the lyric because the the version of the subtitles that I oh had god yeah had my lyric subtitles my, oh my too my too yeah and the lyrics to these songs are completely insane <laughs> the lyrics to these songs are absolute <laughs> fucking nonsense like was 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 there like a period when it was just like I mean I know Japanese is big on loan words but like this is taking a bit much a bit far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was like, one just, in episode two. I couldn't. There was, the fight at the end of episode two. I just couldn't focus on it at all because the there was just like this epic chorus with this like epic butt rock playing, and there was just like this um, this like huge like chorus going Cambrian, Oldovian, Silurian, Devonian, right, DNA right, molecules, right, right. and it's like what the fuck are you talking about? Like what is, what is any what the fuck? Like it's so distract. I I I really hate it when subtitles have subtitles for the lyrics because Japanese song lyrics always sound fucking stupid when you translate them to English and I'm sure vice versa just because like song lyrics and poetry are so hard to translate and so it's like now I know that they're just fucking saying shit and it makes me think less of the show because it has this dumb ass song going in the background of all the fights that the show obviously thinks is super cool <laughs> the show obviously this, this music is the coolest music that's ever been written it's the coolest shit in the universe oh, it's yeah. so weird <laughs> Yeah, it really like there in the yeah, in episode twenty three. I got completely fucking obliterated by the song lyrics, which say "darkness, burning puppets given birth." The name given is anthropocentrism. 
And I'm like, what the fuck? This is some like fucking baby boomer beatnik bullshit. This is so. This is, I'm like, I feel like I'm reading a William S. Burroughs poem. Like, what is going on? Yeah, it's 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 some wacky wacky shit. Uh, so let's see. We 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 got sidetracked again trying to trying to summarize the kind of the how what the. The, yes. the, 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 so, how, the, so how the shit gets started. So she got rescued. She got, she met a prince, got a ring, came to this school. Uh, um, I, was it to like chase after the prince? Yeah, chase after her prince. Um, so she gets into this duel with Sayonji. I don't, I don't know how she knows, I don't know how she knows to come here to look for her prince. Cause I don't know. she doesn't even know what he looks like anymore. Cause she keeps mistaking different people for the prince. <laughs> okay, listen, we're gonna fucking talk about this now, <laughs> I guess. Because in, so like, there are, frequent memories that she has where they're obvious that they're memories that she's having where you can see that this prince is a black guy and then she's just like oh is this is toga my prince and it's just like no you remember you remember that this guy obviously doesn't look like this guy like I mean, just it, on the basis of yeah. just like obvious features certainly, like, like certainly not white uh yeah like and come on <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, anyway, so yeah, she's defending Anthe, uh, Wakaba's honor, um, so she challenges Sanji to a duel, he's like, oh, you've got a ring, you are the new duelist, and she's like, uh, uh yes, what, huh, what, oh, mm? act, like you, act like you've been here before, Atena. <laughs> Meet me in the forest after school. That's, this is... And then she, in the, in like some very, some very expedition speak, she's like, oh, the one that we're not supposed to go into? <gasps> the Forbidden Forest! Yeah. <gasps> uh, and so, yeah, and so they go, they, she she walks up this magical staircase. We we learn about the uh, trilobites, uh, <laughs> and Sayanji, and so she thinks they're just like going to whack each other with kendo uh, swords. But turns out he's got a real fucking sword that he pulls out of Anthe's chest, and just chops her chops her little her little wooden sword in half yeah she's like wait i was really hoping the record scratch i was really hoping she was gonna lose like i was really hoping that the show was gonna do something interesting and instead it didn't um and instead she just met she just like i forget fucking forget even how she wins but she uses the power of ingenuity and being the protagonist to win the duel and then now she's engaged to the rose bride and she doesn't know what that means Right, um, and it's, so but, she, the, to, to win a duel, you have to like knock the ro- knock yeah, knock the to... rose, uh, the little like um, what are they called? Those the things lapel? you No, you get them at do, 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 like, you get them oh, at fuck. prom. Oh fuck! Uh, what is it yeah. called? I know exactly what you're thinking of. Fuck! I never went to prom. I mean, I, you didn't miss much. I know. That's why I didn't go to prom. <laughs> Because I knew uh, I wasn't going to miss much. I Whatever. Anyway. You know what we're talking about. Yeah, little, little, rose, little rose attached to that, attached to that chest. Uh, and when you knock it off, the other person um, is... is all, all their muscles kind of cease working and they fall over and holler. Oh, I, I interpreted that as, as they were just so crushed by their defeat that they... Mm, that works too. Um, yeah, so, like, this is one of my other problems with this show, is that there's fucking no stakes 
to anything. Like they keep they keep talking about like oh it's very like at least the stakes get raised a little bit in the Black Rose arc because the the people that uh, Utena is dueling with is are actually trying to kill Hemia yeah. uh, and not just trying to like take her. But it's it's so like because nobody dies in this show because they would run out of characters really fast. <laughs> like they like because nobody dies in the show. There's just no stakes. Like none of these duels mean anything. Yeah, you know? the only like, it the only doesn't stakes feel it is... doesn't feel like anything matters. It doesn't feel like the only stakes is that Utena like near the end of the student council arc, Utena loses a duel and then Toga takes possession of of the Rose Bride for right. half an episode. <laughs> you know, and it's like, but like as soon as you see Utena lose the Rose Bride, it's like, well, you know, she's gonna get her back. Right. Because like and, there's, there's nothing. It's not like like this isn't irreversible. She can just challenge this dude to another duel, you yeah. know. And similarly, later on, when like in the uh, we, we were talking about Utena fighting Wakaba, and like Utena's like all torn up about having to fight this, and it's like you don't have to kill her. Like, you don't <laughs> fucking like there's nothing. Well, I mean, like she, there's, she's no, there's hurting, no stakes she's afraid of here. Hurting her instead, like instead you of haven't cleanly... hurt any of these other people. <laughs> like you're you obviously you've never <laughs> there, there have been like don't twenty. Tell me that. There have been like twenty duels, and w- in which you've perfectly safely disarmed all of these people of their roses. Yeah, and like so, it's I, it's just like I, I like there's it's a very emotional scene or whatever. But I just I was completely shut out of it right, because right. I just didn't buy it. I just didn't buy that Utena would be like torn up inside about having to cut a rose off of her friend's chest. God forbid. Yeah, I mean, like, like. It's weird because, like, the obvious kind of stakes that, like, at least for, at least for the student council section, are like all of the student council members who challenge Utena. They do it because they want, uh, like, Anthe and or whatever power she possesses for some selfish reason of their yes, own. Yes, she has like, the power to for it to create to revolutionize the world. Revolution. The world. Uh, um. And so, like, so like you kind of see the kind of the logical conclusion of that mindset at the very beginning when Sionji like hits Anthe just yeah. because he can. Yeah. And so Sayanji, like he's a fucking asshole and the worst, and he's my favorite character in this entire show. Yeah, I was because right. I was, yeah, I was he's, putting he's, at some point. He's, like, he's such a brilliant like examination of like that sort of toxic masculine attitude yeah. of just where he's just like he's very posturing and like he's a pretty boy and he's he's ripped and he does kendo stuff. And then as soon as anyone like even so much as like pushes back on him a little bit, he just immediately fucking crumbles and takes the black pill and starts dressing like an Edo period samurai. <laughs> Like he just <laughs> yeah. he just completely eats shit immediately. Yeah, and but like so, there's a weird thing because like the uh, obviously the reason Utena should be fighting is to keep Anthe from being like abused by these people, yeah. uh, and but that's never really her explicit motivation. Because and I think it's also in part because Utena doesn't really ever see it happen we the audience see yeah. it happen she, well Utena, she sees she sees Sionji she hit once. her yeah. she sees hit her once or twice but like it's ne- and it's never it's absolutely never her explicit motivation is to like protect protect her yeah and I think um, there was I, had, I took some notes somewhere at the end of the student council arc um, that like when she, when yeah when she loses the fight and Kiryu 
who is the student council president. So yeah, Sionji is kind of is like just kind of your bog standard misogynist. Like Kiryu is like a straight up psychopath. I don't know uh, why you keep calling him Kiryu when none of the characters in the show ever call him Kiryu oh, and they just Tuga. call him Tuga. Okay, I don't know. I forget. And there's a different guy that we all know who we call Kiryu. Yeah, I think that's what was made me say it because I, I, I was thinking of our favorite Yakuza boy. Not our, our favorite. favorite. Well, no, our Maj- second favorite. Majima was our favorite then. In the, then he got Jokerified. Then, then he got Jokerified. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so uh, yeah. Uh, Kiryu Otuga is the student council president. He is this sociopathic, like, piece of shit who, uh, like, pretends to be Sanji's friend and, like, betrays him and, like, manipulates everyone. Anyway, he 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 somehow convinces Utena that there's a possibility he's her prince, catches her off guard and beats her in a duel uh, and takes Anthe from her. And then Utena has this giant crisis of identity after losing the duel um and she shows up to school in a, in a like where a, she realizes yeah. that she's also a toxic piece of shit who only <laughs> needs anthony for what she does for her girls, right. see, that's the real lesson of this was, show is that girls can be toxic and possessive too like I was, yeah i was gonna say so she so she has this crisis of identity like is she, is she really like oh, can she really be a prince or some or some bullshit so she shows up in, in like a like a girl's uniform and makaba's like what the fuck is going on? Um, like that. This is when Wakaba becomes like a great character. It's like yeah. how she just completely chews Utena the fuck out when she's having her just like miserable woe is me pity party in episode twelve. Uh, and she's like, something was stolen from you and make you a coward. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a great episode. Uh, and then it turns out what that something is, is kind of Utena's like sense of herself as someone who protects people, someone who like a pretty princely characteristics. And so what, what she, what she is, um, so then she challenges to go to another duel. And so, yeah. So at that point, like, yeah, my daughter was saying at this point, she's still treating Anthe as, just like part of her self-actualization and like not it ultimately not that different from the from the student council members like she she part of part of her identity is that these like quote-unquote princely characteristics of protecting people and like what she, and like she does treat Anthony much better than anyone else uh and she is she like is kind to her and like but uh, like she doesn't. She often, often kind of, I think, sees her not entirely as her own person. Yeah, and especially in especially at the end of the student council arc, when she's like, getting back Anthe is not to keep her away from Tuga, who is an asshole, a, a scary motherfucker. Uh, it's it's to kind of reaffirm herself as who yeah. she wants to be. Yeah, and I, I, part of me hopes that this gets addressed later in the show, and then part of me knows that it fucking won't <laughs> get addressed at all. And yeah, then, like, probably not. You know, like, and and like, I'm ready to be proven wrong. I'm excited to be proven wrong uh, yeah. about uh, about that. You know, I'm excited to get hoisted on that particular issue. Um, but 
yeah, it's it's just a bummer, and it becomes even more of a weird bummer with the fact uh, of the with the fact that Anthony is not white. Uh, this show that... has kind of a, this show has kind of a white savior complex. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we can get into uh, Mikage's weird fucking psychology and the racism involved in there. Um, uh, when we when yeah, we, we should also should, we, we should, should also see talk- what we, we kind of jumped around in the student council yeah. arc. So student council arc is the first arc when she comes to school, she fights Sayanji. Um, yeah, and then, then she fights the rest of the she, student council. We can, they, we can, I guess, just introduce the rest of the student council. Yeah. Because there's, uh, there's Jerry. Yuri. Who, uh, uh, who from who, Jerry from Street Fighter. The only uh, actual lesbian in this whole fucking show. Well, uh, I'm, I'm still waiting for them to take that away from us. Uh, seriously. Like, yeah, I mean, like, like, it's, like, it's so pernicious how like anime is how consistently any anime that's not like overtly marketed as yuri will refuse to kind of have any actual queerness in it uh with very few exceptions uh not or yuri or or whatever yaoi thought yeah. <laughs> girls love or boys love uh and so and so yeah so like uh judy her her little sub arc um is has a very clever like bait and, like bait and switch during it because her deal is that she had these two childhood friends growing up a boy and a girl uh and the her the the other girl assumed that your Judy and the boy were in love and was ex- extremely jealous uh, and basically manipulated the boy into thinking that Yuri didn't like him. Is it Yuri, Judy or Yuri? Judy. I, I don't think it's Yuri because it's not. Yeah. Swedish. For some reason, for some reason, I, my, my memory, like, I feel like I hear Mickey saying Yuri, but it's probably not true. Anyway. So yeah, she, so, so this I just call it Jerry, like Jerry from Street Fighter. There we go. So this, this other girl kind of manipulates them and breaks up the breaks up the band, essentially. Uh, and so you think that like Judy was in love with the guy at, at the very end of the episode. She opens this little uh, like locket she has, and it's a picture of the girl. <gasps> um, and so and like that shouldn't be like. That's not a that's not a particularly original or clever thing, but in the context of of like a '90s anime, like that was act like I was like, huh, cool. Like I, was, I like I, I completely refused to I I refuse to acknowledge it as cool until we finish this show. Like, I refuse <laughs> to acknowledge that it's real or that it's happening until we finish this yeah. show and they do not take it away from me. Yeah, like, I, I will, mean, I will right. not give it credit until until I that's, fucking see this shit through. We're gonna the watch same, the whole show and then the movie, and if it and if it's queer all the way through, then I will give them credit. Yeah, that's the only that's the only way to not be disappointed continually, which which I am. Uh, uh, then we also have uh, Miki. Miki. Uh, uh, who? who I thought was a girl for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Miki is like some sort of piano prodigy. 
Uh, so the, when me, the scene that introduces Miki, like, really, is this scene where he's at, like, a piano and, like, hits a... So I fucking spent way too much time on this scene because he hits... He hits the B key on the piano. Uh-oh. And then I, I, and then he's like, oh, well, it's, it's, this piano is out of tune. And I'm like, how can you tell that from just one note unless you have perfect pitch? And then I grabbed a little sample of the piano note and dragged it into Ableton and used the tuner on it. It's about 10 cents sharp, which is inaudible to pretty much everybody. Um, and then, um, like literally, it the, that piano is about ten cents sharp. The grand piano instrument in Ableton is eight cents sharp. Like it's it's Incredible. completely inaudible. Incredible. And then and then I finished this investigation, and then I went back to watching the show. And then Mickey says, "Maybe I'm the one who needs tuning." And then I said, "Fuck you!" out loud to my computer. Um, but there is Holy a thing stick. where, so so the only way that you would be able to tell that a piano is out of tune by hearing just one note on the piano without any sort of reference pitch is if you had perfect pitch. <laughs> but if you learn, if you, you per- perfect pitch is something that you acquire as a child. Uh, and if you acquire it as a child while using an instrument that's been poorly tuned, then your perfect pitch will be out of tune to the rest of the world. Oh God. Uh, which I imagine is a nightmare. That must um, be, yeah. Um, so maybe, uh, that's, maybe that's his curse. Yeah, man. Maybe that's Miki's extremely obscure curse that only I notice. So yeah, with Miki, we get introduced to the first of at least two kind of like vaguely incestuous uh, dynamics. With oh yeah. So Miki, Miki also has a sister who and, and who is hot, uh, and his sure. sister doesn't do, like. They used to play piano together, and then his sister sort of bailed on that shit at a certain point. Um, and Miki is like sort of it becomes clear very quickly that Miki is obsessed with Hememia because he's obsessed with the idea that Hememia is going to bring ba- him back to that feeling that he got when he used to play piano with his sister. Yeah. Um and there's this great there's this great moment like right at the beginning of the episode where Miki meets uh where Miki like meets up with with Utena and Utena's like oh god I'm going to have to fight this motherfucker too. And then he's like I don't want to fight a duel to make Miss Hememia my bride. And then it's just very much like I heard in my head the fucking title of the creator voice. So that was a fucking lie. <laughs> I thought you were going to bring up the 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 rehearsal room isn't only for playing the piano, oh, you know. Also that. <laughs> Yes, also, so so Mickey, like, goes to the rehearsal room and, like, finds his sister coming out of there, and he's like, I thought you didn't play piano. And he, she says very, very, like, in a very sultry way, like, the rehearsal room isn't for playing the piano. And I was like, if you know what I mean! Because I thought, that I didn't think the show was going to go through with it. And then he walks in there, and, like, Toga is, like, in there buttoning up his shirt. And I'm like, oh, I guess they do know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so then we, so that, so, like, like, Mickey and his sister, like, well, she's constantly, like, like, fooling around with guys to piss him off. Um, and he's constantly, like, treating Anthea as, like, a substitute for her. So it's very healthy, yeah. very, very It's lovely. a very healthy, yeah, very um, healthy relationship where you're getting cucked by your own sister. <laughs> uh, and so... Utena beats him at the duel because yeah he 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 wants to get he wants to win Anthea as his bride so he can, so he can play piano with her all the time, but then Utena beats him and he's like, yeah Anthea can play piano with you anyway whatever she fucking wants. 
Yeah, we already had that agreement. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, like, and then uh, that's that's resolved on nicely. Yeah, yeah, after that, he he, he he becomes becomes a chill dude. Uh, And then, I I have Uh, Sionji gets yeeted in my notes here. Oh, is that when he gets expelled? He does get expelled because he, so near the end of the student council arc, he he kidnaps Himemia and, like, takes her to the dueling forest Uh, oh because again so he got a fake letter from end of the world which is um the The gamer tag of (laughs) (laughs) wait um you you know who that is right i do know who it is okay it's so it's it's akio who is anthe's older brother yeah uh who is the the interim chairman of the school Yes, and some, it is and, sort and, of imp- and vaguely the, so- implied earlier on in this series that he, it's like some sort of shadowy organization. Yeah, uh, but it's it's sort of uh, revealed then later after being sort of heavily implied that it's actually Aoki. Yeah, so he, so he's Akio, he's doing Akio. some weird puppetry. Uh, so he sends letters to the to the duelists, who are the people with the with the ring. All the student council and Utena have rings, but she doesn't get letters because she's, I don't know. Anyway, so Sionji gets a letter that he thinks is from End of the World saying, basically, uh, make your own laws or whatever. And so he's like, I'm, so he steals, he kidnaps him and Mia, takes her to the doodling ground, uh, and then... Uh, Utena shows up and they a bunch of crazy shit happens that I forget the details of but Utena falls over Sanji whips out a sword he's gonna actually factually murder her uh, and then Kiryu shows up and takes the, and, and leaps in front of the so, leaps in front of the sword Instead of doing like a normal thing and grabbing it or something, yeah, uh, or just killing his asshole black pilled brother, yeah. And so, Slyonji gets expelled for for using a sword on another person, which is something that you can't do unless it is it is um, part well, of you the, can't use part a of sword the, to murder part him. part of the plot. Uh, it, then it turns out that it was Kiri, it was Tuga. Kiyutuga, who sent the letter. It wasn't actually from End of the World. Uh, and so like, he for reasons which I still don't understand basically manipulated Sionji into getting expelled. Uh, I don't know, wouldn't you want Sionji expelled? Okay, so if we're going to talk about when <laughs> we talk about Sionji, because we're approaching the end of this arc, we need to talk about the Curry episode. Oh, hell yeah. We need to talk about the fucking this fucking so there that, is that is in the manga sh- i think it's like i think manga. it's i think it's like a side story though uh, there's an episode of this show where for an entire episode no plot occurs and what happens is otena and uh Hememia make a really hot curry on accident because nanami we haven't talked about nanami nanami the, all you need to know about nanami <laughs> is that she sucks and she's the worst no it's it, uh, oh yeah so the so Hememia can't cook for shit is is yeah. Um, one, 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 one important plot point to keep in mind. Uh, and so they make a really hot curry accidentally, uh, that 
they think causes Hememia and Utena to switch bodies. So Utena right. and Hememia actually switch bodies, and they think it's because of the curry. Right. This really hot curry that they make that blows up the cooking classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I fucking, I forget. So, like, Nanami goes on this, like, whole quest through, like, a very racist depiction of India to mm-hmm. go and find this new curry powder, to go and find this, like, nine-billion-fold curry powder that, that will switch yeah, the so, back. So they, so they, 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 she had sent her minions to, to use this, like, nine, over 9,000 Dragon Ball Z curry powder um, to basically just fuck with Utena. And, and then they saw what happened. They were like, oh, no. And then Tuga, um, who is the Nami's older brother, and the only one who... Oh, they, oh wait, wait, we have three incestuous dynamics Nanami, oh yeah Nanami, Nanami is insanely Tuga. horny for Tuga uh, and Tuga uh, is well, happy to take advantage of her yeah I mean Tuga doesn't love anyone but himself yeah uh, and yeah that's the thing you're, you're talking about how like <laughs> like Sayonji is like a great character because like he's like as shitty and toxic as he he is he's like he has like an emotional life Kiryu is like like a pure sociopath. Yeah, who he's ha- just sort of a caricature of a villain. Who has no, like, who has no, like, you can, you can like, we hate Sayanji, but we also kind of, like, see him as a person who can be redeemed uh, yeah. or not. Sia, uh, uh, Tuga is is not yeah. he's just that an anime sort of villain. thing. Uh, and so, anyway, anyway, but so, 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 so Tuga... So, 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 so Tuga gets very disappointed in Inami, and she cries a lot, and then decides to go. But they ran out of that nine thousand power curry, so they, they think they can't swap the body back. Nine billion fold curry. Okay, unless, unless they find more of it. So yeah, then they go on their little racist adventure in order to find more of it and spend the entire episode flying around the world. Yeah, uh, while other shit happens related to Sayanji and stuff like that. But the the thing that I need to talk about <laughs> is the end of this episode. When so they discover, and I forget the fucking actual way that they discover how um, how to switch the bodies back because it actually turns out to have nothing to do with the curry. And is, then, isn't it just him and Mia's like horrible cooking? Uh, I think it is. Because yeah, then because like then like one of one of the Nami's minions is like rummaging around in the kitchen and finds the original batch of of spicy powder, uh, and it's like we never even put it in in the first place. Uh, and so they decide that Himamiya's cooking is just so bad that it causes people to swap bodies. And so then they swap bodies again, very crucially, with Choo Choo, who is uh, Himamiya's We haven't talked monkey. about Choo Choo yet. We haven't talked about monkey. So Choo Choo is Himamiya's pet monkey. He's he's basically just Pen Pen from Ava. He's the anime animal mascot. He eats a lot and is just like a weird pervert. And yeah. he's great. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Choo Choo and Sayanji swap bodies, right. and there's a really great like ending gag where you see uh, Sayanji in Choo Choo's body with like Sayanji's hair dressed in like the kendo outfit, yeah. like practicing kendo swings. The and, then there's sword. An, and then there's an even better, even weirder side gag after that where you see Sayanji with Choo Choo's brain in his body, like in a tree eating a banana, like. It's the silhouetted because of the setting sun. Yeah, it's <laughs> so fucking funny. 
it's yeah there are a couple episodes that are just like pure filler like there's that one there's the one where nanami gets into a boxing fight with a kangaroo yeah well that one doesn't become pure filler because that's where we are introduced to her child slave Uh, god the tiny the tiny creature yes i don't remember his yeah, I don't remember his name, but she there's this like twelve year old kid who like does Nanami's bidding for the rest of the show. Yeah. Um and he uh and, and so like in this episode, it's a fucking weird episode, it has nothing to do with anything, and it, it like there yeah, there is like he keeps like staging like catastrophes so that he can save Nanami from them like a real prince. Yeah. And one of the catastrophes that he stages is that a fucking kangaroo with boxing gloves gets let loose in the school. <laughs> and like, I have no fucking clue what this show is. Like what on earth? Is- yeah. We like, like they could, the weird like nanami and animals is like a recurring thing like when there's also another like, like with, bizarre with, in that same episode there's this bizarre sight gag where like uh miki and utena like confront this child and he like and he like reveals his whole scheme about like c- contriving all of this stuff and then you see nanami like up against like a bunch of like like or, like a real to real tape deck and like a, she's like wearing headphones like she's like a fucking spot in a spy van and then it <laughs> zooms out a little bit and she's just sitting at a desk literally right next to them right <laughs> It's so fucking weird. It's so weird. The show is so uh, weird. Because yeah, like there's the kangaroo with boxing gloves. There's the all the elephants during her like running around India thing in the curry episode. Then, then there's, there's then there's her then turning there's into this... a cow. Oh uh, yeah, that's the... another just fucking weird episode that nothing happens in where she receives like a fucking bespoke designer cowbell in the mail, right, and so... then she wears it because she thinks it's high fashion, and, and slowly then, turns into a cow, and then slowly like that that episode awakened a fetish in a lot of people. Like she slowly turns into a cow. <laughs> And and over the course of the episode, that she remains convinced that this cowbell is like the height of fashion, and it's and then the end they're like because he and she's like oh it's from Sebastian Jor, which is just, I guess this is universe's version of Christian Jor, and yeah. then and then at the very end, Utena's like no this isn't Sebastian Jor this is Kaushjian Jor, and I said fuck you to my computer screen again. I know it's so stupid. It's so dumb. This show is the dumbest thing on earth. It's so like, what on fucking earth is this show? Like, like if you haven't seen this show, this is hopefully giving you a little bit of an idea of why we have no fucking clue what to make of it. Like, there's just there's so it's so much. Like, there's so yeah. it's so out of control. Yeah, it's. But, yeah, I think in our roundabout way, we've summarized pretty much all the student council arc, right? It ends, yeah. it ends after she, like, after she beats uh, Tuga and gets Anthe back, he kind of, like, sulks off and goes, like, to brood with his shirt unbuttoned for, for like, the <laughs> entire Black Rose arc. You never see, we don't see him, except, like, 
one time when Nanami is like checking in on him to make sure he's alive. But otherwise, the rest of the student council kind of have the grudging respect for Utena. Like she's more or less friends with Miki. Um, and so that's kind of like, all right. But then Nanami is the head of the student council. And so much to my chagrin, we have to see more of Nanami. <laughs> Nanami's the other thing that's revealed. Nanami she's, is the fuck. She's, she's rid- awful. And she's. She's almost as good a character as Sionji. Like, she's she's just... I just, like, Sionji... I I enjoy watching because he's such a fucking goober. And Nanami is just, like, the worst motherfucker. Like, she, like, literally, she... There, there's a reveal in one of the episodes where it's, it's revealed that she gave oh, a God. cat as a present to her brother right. and then when her brother liked the cat more than her she put the cat in a box and drowned it yeah she's a, she's the fucking she, worst she's an absolute nightmare like that's more like honestly she like that drowning a cat thing is more of a kick the dog moment than anybody else gets mm-hmm. yeah you know like like Sionji, i guess gets all of the scenes where he beats the crap out of angie but uh and but like toga doesn't really he doesn't really have a kick the dog moment he's just like you just she just exudes an aura of slime yeah yeah um you know so he doesn't really need one but like nanami like it's like you just murdered a cat right yeah it's like that murdered a cat that's kind of one of the jealous little prick most like pointed like fuck you moments yeah I, I, like I'm curious as to which of these characters, this, sh- if any, this show is going to attempt to redeem, mm-hmm. because pretty much everyone in this show, except for Hememia and and Utena, is an asshole. Yeah. Like Utena's kind of an asshole, but she's like doesn't have enough of a character in order to like really be an asshole. Well, um, Mickey and Jury are are fine. Like, yeah, Mickey has sort of a similar sort of weird, but like Mickey, Mickey is very similar to Utena in that they both have sort of weird, very mild possessive relationships yeah. with Utena. Yeah, with with Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jerry, I I don't know what to make of her. She doesn't get a lot of screen time, right? Um, so it's sort of hard to, to tell. But like everybody in this show is like a little bit of a of a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a way that is very similar to Ava. Like everybody in Ava is an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, instead of redeeming them, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of fuck with them in the Black Rose arc. Yeah, so the Black Rose saga, it basically, this mysterious building opens up on campus claiming to offer, like, psychological counseling. It's like, it's like Lucy's little, like, like, thing in, in, uh, Peanuts, where, like, pay five cents. Oh, yeah. Uh, people just kind of drop in. Yeah, um, except instead of paying five cents and getting bad advice from a child, <laughs> you don't pay anything, and instead you get into a weird elevator where you go down into a room where a, with a bunch of coffins, and then they tell you, and then you tell your problems to the elevator, and then you're uh, informed that you have no choice but to revolutionize the world, <laughs> and then you get into a sword fight with Utena. <laughs> like, let's so, like, even the, the very first time um, this happened, when someone went to the elevator and, like, spilled out their guts... And then Mikage appears and says, your only option is to revolutionize the world. I knew, like, that's all he ever says. <laughs> that's all he ever says. Your only option is to revolutionize the world. Uh, and so and um, so here, so I, we'll get into, like, the whole fucking completely batshit, like, setup for this. But, like, the, the rough 
outline of the arc is that uh, this this weird prodigy Mikage wants to kind of like seize the power of Dios or whatever the fuck and as- grasp eternity. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of these sort of like vague evocative <laughs> phrases like revolutionize the world and grasp eternity yeah. and all the stuff that people say a lot. And I have a feeling will be explored more in the second half of the show. Hopefully. But for right now, they're just sort of gestures at concepts yeah. that d- don't exist. I mean, it, it, uh, Eternity was explored a little bit in 23, and we'll get into yeah. that. But the point, anyway, so he, so he's trying to kind of like get get a hold of whatever power is hiding in the school. And so he does it by finding people who are uh, angry, disappointed, in some have some sort of something he can kind of like feed on and turn Because the way that this works structurally <laughs> is that so like the student council arc explores all of the sort of major characters yeah and then the black rose arc is exploring the relationships between the major characters and side characters mm-hmm. and so you get you know an episode that explores the relationship between nanami and her weird child slave you know you get one that explores the relationship between uh wakaba and and Utena. Utena. yeah um you know, and, and Wakaba and Sayanji um, as well, you know, so like you have, and generally speaking, what happens is that the side character gets really, really pissed about basically being a side character, <laughs> and then they pull a sword out of the major character and then go fight Utena. Right, uh, and so like, so yeah, so they, they something happens, they go to the um, Namuro Memorial Hall where Mikage is doing his creepy, creepy thing, they spill out their guts. Your only opportunity to revolutionize the world. They get a black version of the ring, uh, and then they go and fight Utena and, and declare that they're going to kill Anthe, uh, which seems like the only. Which uh, I'm not sure why killing Anthe is important. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, he, no, because he wants to make the that sick boy oh, the rose bride. Oh, Mamiya, yeah, yeah. So, he, so like they have this little like shadow government basically. So he. Um, he's, I'm not sure, he, it's like, he's like the Shadow Akio, and Mamiya is like the Shadow Anthe, uh, and they want to, they want to, they want to emerge from their little underground cave and, 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 and take over. And so, so yeah, he finds, like, people with discontent for whatever reason, he he turns their kind of unhappiness to kind of malice and sends them out to fight and they inevitably fail utena uh has has figured has she's she's figured out how to do this whole dueling thing and part of the reason why like the black rose this whole arc is so weird is that like the last 10 minutes of every episode is literally the same she never has a problem fighting these people like they they cross plays a little bit, um, and then she summons the power of Dios. Yeah. They, it's like a fucking bam. Errol Flynn movie. They just like fling insults <laughs> at each other, and then one of them dies. Uh, and so it's 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 very weird. But we do, but I mentioned Akio, and we do actually meet Akio's older brother in this in this arc. Uh, yeah, there's a fucking 
insane, <laughs> amazing joke. Yes, yes. Where, where, like, they go to, like, Himemi has been, like, disappearing on weekends, and, and Utena doesn't know why, and, and then she's like, oh, I'm going to see my brother, and then Utena's like, oh, can I come? And she's like, sure, and then they go, and they walk into this just, like, big, like, rotunda, and there's a huge fucking, like, planetarium projector in the middle of the room, and then Utena looks at it and says, like, very smugly, like, oh, is that your big brother? And then... Hemimia says, that's a planetarium projector. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll just screenshot that, then I saw you had already posted it. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's an f- easy mistake to make, I guess. Yeah, it's it's so, like, Dankraith, friend of the show, Dankraith, offered the ex- potential explanation that might be a pun in Japanese. Uh, uh, I don't know, because also, simultaneously, it's a good joke, even if it's not a pun. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, like, if I were Utena, I'd be, like, totally willing to believe that Himemi is older brother of the planetarium projector. Like, sure. <laughs> yeah, she's, I mean, like... This might as well happen. She she has, uh, she has monkeys in her drawers. Uh, yeah, she, she has an octopus in her closet. If you know what I mean. <laughs> she keeps a snail in her pencil case. If you know what I mean. So yeah, so we meet uh, Akio, who's like has the same kind of like sleazy energy as Tuga, um, but a little less kind of overt. And uh, this is our third weirdly incestuous dynamic between him and Anthe. Uh, like a couple mm. a couple times at like the end of an episode, like. Uh, he turns on the projector and the stars are in, in the sky. I mean, and by sky, I mean ceiling. He's like, Anthe, come to me. She's like, yes, Onisama. Um, and then... I kept thinking about that screenshot from Karikano uh, where the parents ask, is it possible for a stepbrother and sister to get married? God. Oh, fucking Karikano. <laughs> What a what a what a fucking horrible show. Uh, except for Maho. What a sweet, angry lesbian. Uh and so So yeah, Akio is like the, the acting chairman of the whole fucking school. And he just spends his time chilling in a planetarium. Wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds great. Uh, but we, and yeah, and so we don't really learn much about his deal yet. Yeah. We haven't, um. He provides advice to Utena quite often. Yeah. Like she, big, she, aphoristic advice. Yeah, like he, she ends up going. In this episode, he, in this arc, he's generally presented as sort of like a friendly figure. Right. You know? Like he's not, you know, he's, he's mysterious and nobody quite understands him. And he lives in a big rotunda with a planetarium projector, which is weird. But like. He's not villainous or really antagonistic in any way. Not, and, like, yeah. Utena likes him. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, and Utena, like, keeps going to see him, like, even without him. Yeah, just, she's like, like, just, like, just, like hangs out and, like, advice. she's, like, yeah, and the Wakaba arc, she's, like, at one point, she, uh, she's, like, hanging out with Akio, doing, like, rev- like upside down. She's, yeah, she's adopted a backwards crab position. Ask, and asking why how Wakaba suddenly got so much hotter. <laughs> yeah, like, she, she, it's so weird. Like, she's, like, she's just straight up, just, like, bent over on her back, like, looking up into the sky and just, like, asking these questions. <laughs> like, why do I suddenly think Wakaba is so 
Anyway, um, we're getting we're getting we're getting away from ourselves. And by ourselves, I mean Mikage, um, who's this? Apparently, apparently, this kind of high school prodigy who runs the Mikage seminar, where all like the um, the high performing students go to do something. If you know what I mean, uh, and so all we all we know about it is that like he 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 somehow lures these these troubled children in and and turns them into weapons. So we get uh, Mickey's sister. She her kind of Angie. Is that um, I think just Mickey is, is actually interested in another girl, uh, namely Himemia. At, like in the student in the student council arc, he was mostly interested in Himemia as kind of a substitute for his sister. But I think the implication now is that he actually likes Himemia for herself, and the sister sees that and is like, "Well, fuck. We may still be sleeping in the same room." But, but I'm, I'm, I sense my hold on him slipping. Uh, that that was so fucking weird. The, the like the, the scene when like she's in it, it's like fucking like uh, Ernie and Bert style like beds <laughs> next to each other. <laughs> and Nikki's like, "Do you want a milkshake?" And she's like, "Well, that's no, why she has to fuck in the music sweet. room because oh, she still shares a room with her brother." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. But anyway, so yeah, she's pissed at uh, Miki for not caring about her enough. She's pissed at Himamiya for stealing him away from her. And so she becomes the first, like, Black Rose duelist. Uh, yeah. Well, no, the first Black Rose duelist is uh, Akio's fiance. Oh, right. Kanae? Who hates Himamiya. Kanai? I have no idea. Yeah, Kanai. Uh, Kanai. Kanai. Uh, right. So she, yeah, she fucking disappears after the after the very first episode. So I forgot he, she even existed. That's probably for the best. She's not very interesting. Right. So Akio is apparently engaged to the daughter of a rich family, uh, who is also a high school student. And Akio is not a high school student. It's <laughs> very creepy. Um, it's the very it's like the very undercurrent of just like maybe this Akio guy isn't like fucking up to snuff. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one way to uh, to signal that. Um, and so yeah, she so Kenai is really just partly resentful of um, Himemiya for like probably this, this the weird anime jealousy that siblings have of each other. Um, or yeah. the, or that or that significant others have of siblings, partly just that Himamiya is her weird her weird kind of emotionally distant self, and so she's like I fucking hate having Himamiya, and then that's she so she's the first Black Rose duelist, yeah, but then she disappears and we forget about all about her, yeah. So then we have uh, Miki's sister is the second one, then we have baby child. No, yes. there's someone in between. No, then we have the cow episode. Then we have the cow episode. Then we have uh, I uh, the girl. We have the jury episode. Oh, the jury episode. Yeah. So 
that so then the girl that Jerry's in love with um, who had like moved away for a few years came back and um, is like shocked to find that Jerry fucking hates her <laughs> for, yeah. for for imploding their friend group uh, yeah and then, being an asshole and then uh, Jerry is like I'm gonna I'm gonna bury these feelings way deep down in the in the shallow pond in the student grounds and she throws her her little locket into the water and then uh someone presumably mikage finds it and leaves it in uh girly other girl's room she finds it and she's like oh she jerry wasn't in love with that boy she was in love with me all along whoops which is which is well that would be a normal reaction but instead she kind of goes to therapy she, she goes well that would also be a normal reaction um i was trying to be an <laughs> asshole to this person but then it turned out i was an asshole to them in a way different from how i expected and so yeah ah. and, and so she yeah and so 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 she goes to the the mikage therapy booth and is Vents all vents her spleen about how she's resented Jerry for being her spleen. Yeah, for being perfect and amazing and overshadowing her. That's a it's a phrase, isn't it? It's an idiom. Vents Uh, her spleen is maybe that's a West Coast thing. uh, Maybe not vents is the right word. Uh, (laughs) Because I I have a very powerful visual image uh, when you say vents your spleen. It's an idiom. I I'm yeah. sh- I don't disbelieve you. I just never. I, I, I just before. wasn't sure if I got it wrong. Uh, and so and so, and so it turns out, yeah, this girl has has kind of resented Jerry for being like perfect and wonderful and nice, basically, and uh, that's why she tried to steal the boy away. Is because like it seemed like Jerry got everything, and she and she got nothing, and now. She's like, I have an even better kind of like trump card uh, to, to. I'll never let her fuck me. Uh, <laughs> and so that's yeah. It's 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 a it's, so of course of course, uh, like at the beginning of the episode, it's like, oh, this girl is really upset that what that jury is like cold shouldering her maybe once she realizes that jerry likes her they'll be no this is this is an anime the, the lesbian doesn't get a happy ending uh and so instead of being like oh my god my best friend who i care about more than anyone likes me she is like aha i'm gonna fucking r- ruin her whole career and then so yeah and then she gets turned into a Black Rose duelist fights Sutena, loses, and then they, then she and Jiri enter some weird truce where neither of them talk about what happened. Uh, there's something that, yeah, the ending of that when they both like they, they, you see them just like pass by each other uh, at school, being like, "Hello, Jiri. Hello, what's your what's your name?" So we know that they for like after they get defeated by Utena, they forget everything that happened like 
after a therapy, when they get like, when they turn into the duelist and, and fight, how much of what happens before do they remember? Because like, I don't think they remember going to therapy. Okay, because like, I I feel like if they remember going to therapy, then they probably would have figured out what was going on a lot sooner. Right, but how much like, wh- how much they forget? Because um, you know, well, it seems like they forget that they ever had any problems at all. Right. So like, it's weird because, yeah, because yeah, they they just go back to kind of this weird, friendly, distance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I I feel like the thing that the show in a lot of these cases like the problems that these people are having are as a result of just sort of psychological distortions. Like they aren't mm. real problems, but they're just sort of problems as a result of the way that they're thinking about things. Well. I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, like, like to use Wakaba as an example, like Wakaba like wants to be one of the special people, and like she right. has this sort of delusion that special people are a thing that exists somehow. And like, yeah, they literally exist in this universe, but also like it's a metaphor. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I think like okay, so in in episode nineteen, uh, one of one of Wakaba's childhood friends transfers in. Uh, and like it's framed as like they both like each other but neither wants to admit it blah 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 um, and like Utena is like extremely poorly playing matchmaker uh, and then they have this like a confession scene set up where where the, the boy he originally initially asked that Utena and then he realizes, oh, I was just kind of subliminating my feelings for my childhood friend Makaba all along. And so he meets her on the sunset and is like, how, are you sure you don't want to know how your prince feels? She's like, I would love to know how my prince feels. He's like, well, your prince loves you too. And she's like, really great. I'm going to go find my prince. And <laughs> runs off. <laughs> and he's like, wait, 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 what? Uh and so then, okay, so then, here's, here's the interesting thing. So then he goes to therapy, and we're like, oh, here we fucking go again. But, 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 importantly, importantly during his, like, his spill-all, his tell-all, he doesn't blame her. Uh, so he's like, what, like, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Why am I, in, like, why am I, why am, why am, like... Am I just not good enough? He, he, like it's a, it's a little bit self pitying, but I feel like but it's it's kind it, of I feel like that's still kind of a t- distortion. Like there's nothing wrong with you if somebody else doesn't like you. No, I know necessarily. Well, uh, yeah, I mean the way he words it is a little excessive, but like he's he's just like fuck, man, I'm not good enough for her or something. Um, and so he, but but the important thing there is he never blames her he's never like blames her for not liking him uh he never says like 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 i don't remember this episode why doesn't why like why won't she like me um and then which is which is the sort of thing a lot of the other characters do like uh yeah definitely and so he's definitely different and so mikage pops up he's like you do not have what it takes to revolutionize the world get the fuck out of here get out of my office <laughs> and so he this is the only this, this guy's the only one who doesn't become a rose duelist because like oh, his, yeah. his, his negative emotions aren't don't don't manifest in like 
blaming others. Um, he j- it's it's kind of he he puts it on himself. He he um, he kind of like it's I don't know if it's invariably a healthier thing, but he doesn't he doesn't like he he is a bit too hard on himself. Um, but he but he doesn't blame others for for circumstances yeah. that they aren't there like it's not Wakaba's fault she doesn't like him that's just how things go uh and yeah. and so crucially even if he even if he's a bit ruthless to himself he doesn't blame her and so and so yeah that he's he's the one dude who has like a healthy enough emotional state to, to not become a black rose duelist yeah uh, and and that's and yeah that is interesting i completely forgot that and that's and that's why i was wondering about how much they forget because like obviously some like if if all the rest of them like obviously there there are people who aren't who who like he he wasn't distorted like like you said like he i think there's always some like a like I don't think it's entirely kind of manufactured um, kind of distortions uh, for these students. It's 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 that because who else has like a real problem? Because it's like, uh, can I just fucking hate well, this person for no reason? Because she acts differently well, than other people. It's not. I mean, like, I mean, like real problem is relative. Like they like some a lot a lot of their shit is petty or. What Silly. I mean is is that all of these problems that these people have can be solved by them thinking about it differently. They don't actually have to oh, do yeah. anything I mean, to fix their problems. Right. I mean, like, like, like you know, uh, Miki's sister doesn't actually have to, like, get Miki to, like, pay attention to her again in order to like it, in order to, like, feel better. What she has to do is realize that it doesn't matter whether or not Miki pays attention to her because her life is about more than just, like, fucking with him. I mean, yeah, part of it is that these people all have kind of be, like like this like like their student council counterparts they all have kind of possessive and selfish outlooks yeah uh, they all i mean yeah and, they all and, they all want so Waka- they all want something from this other and, and, from, yeah from and so part of it person. is just that is just their their this shit that they need to, that they need to deal with but and so and so when they when they encounter any sort of setback they they blame it on on others rather than on themselves um like yeah. invariably and so uh that, that's why i'm wondering so like when they when they when they seem to forget things and and everything seems to go back to normal like how like how far would we we get rolled back because i don't think there's any i, I don't i don't necessarily know that this is a useful line of inquiry <laughs> um like I, because I don't think that there's an answer to this question. Like I don't think that we're gonna find the fucking like lore explanation for exactly like when they go back to. Like there's no. The point is that they develop a more healthy relationship. Is do they though? Which is exactly which is the question that one should be asking: Is are the relationships afterwards meaningful, meaningfully different? And I think yeah. that they kind of aren't. Right. I mean, like know? it seems like, it like seems things like everything, go back. Everything to, is just papered normal. over, and just just immediately before the problem kind of boiled over. 
you know, and I, I think that this is especially sort of weird in the in the uh, Mitsuru episode, which Mitsuru was the name of uh, Nanami's like weird child slave. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mitsuru like really desperately wants to become an adult so that he can like do certain things with Nanami. <laughs> um, there's there's a fucking there's, oh, <laughs> there's a fucking scene where like Mitsuru like asks Yutena like what does it mean to be an adult and and and, and like well it means that you have experience with certain things and then like Mitsuru has like this like weird like gang of like three identical high school students who follow them around and they're all just like certain things (laughs) and then Auntie's like Utendo we've done adult things together haven't we (laughs) and and they're just like (gasps) gasp yeah yeah Himemiya what Himemiya means is like they've done taxes or whatever but <laughs> she has not picked up on the subtext. No. She does not know what I mean. Uh, uh, sorry, you're saying so like uh, so yeah. He wants to be. You know, like, so like at the end of that, like like the relationship that he has with Nanami is still really poisonous. Like, oh yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, like he's you know he's her weird child slave, and like that's yes. Like so, I guess bad. I, yeah. So I guess the most likely thing is that like they lose their memory, like. At the point and at which like the simmering the simmering tension came to a head, like I don't uh, think that trying to figure out the mechanics of how I, this <laughs> fucking magical elevator I works I, is I like, is productive. I like I like <laughs> that sort of thing. That um, um, what I what I will say is that yeah, this show is not super interested in like these people sort of real like it's almost about all of these sort of side characters like accepting their place in life god you know there's fucking le- if, accepting their lot in life is to be a side character you know um you know because on the one hand i think that like for instance in the wakaba episode so in the in the wakaba episode which is i think one of the better episodes of of the black oh, rose definitely. arc and it's also it's fucking painful to watch it's so sad mm-hmm. um and in the Wakaba episode, it's revealed that Sayonji, ever since he got expelled, has been staying in Wakaba's room. And that Wakaba, Wakaba she's had a crush on Sayonji this whole time for some reason. Because, she, I mean, because she hasn't seen him beating the shit out of Anthe and kidnapping her. Right. Um, but Wakaba... Uh, and, and like Wakaba has this whole like monologue about how like oh there are all these special people like Utena and like she gets to be special now because Sayanji's one of those special people and as long as she as long as he cares about her you know she gets to be special sort of by association yeah. and like in the real world there are there's no such thing as a special person right. and like this is I think this is I think a, a I don't know if it's actually a common way that high schoolers think or if it's just a way that high schoolers commonly think in TV and movies. Um, but but this idea that, like, you're not, like... The idea that there are other people out there who are, who are like, really, like, who are special and who are who are going to be important and, like, you're not important. Um, I mean, like... You know, as I feel. They, um, I don't know. I like, like, there's definitely... Like, when I was in high school, there was, like... Like, there was... I was, like... Like I had, a, I, I had, I had like a small group of friends who I, I was, I uh, got along well with, but like there was a girl who I had a crush on and she was like, there was, because we were all nerds, like it was like, I hung out with kind of the people on the, the periphery of the theater kids. Uh, well, she, <laughs> she was like in the center of like the theater clique. Uh, and so that's like kind of a lower, a, a kind of a less severe version of that. Whereas like, yeah. Like she and her friends all kind of like 
I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just clicky. It just clicks. And like, like, yeah. And, but, um, uh, but yeah. And of course, like, yeah, that's the real, that's the big difference between Utena and real life is that in Utena, in a fictional work, some of the people are the protagonist, you know, and those people are actually special compared to you. <laughs> you know, they have like magic plot powers that let them win sword fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's, um, you know, so it, it sort of fall, especially like the end of that episode, just sort of falls flat because it's just like Wakaba goes back to being I the know. same as she was so, before. So, like, so, uh, so yeah, like there's a, there's a, the, when we first realized that Sionji is is living with her, it's like she she's acting kind of weird, running home, and then like uh, she goes, "I'm home," and then he goes, "Welcome home," and then there's a little thing like, "Oh, he he hasn't said like welcome home to anyone in a while," and she feels super special, blah blah blah. And then at the end, yeah. after um, uh, after she loses the duel and he bails. She comes home to an empty room and says, I'm home. And it's so oh, sad. Yeah. It's very, it is sad. Like, Wakaba, um, like, like she, because, like, the thing that I think that it's more of a metaphor for is this sort of feeling of being excluded is that Wakaba doesn't sort of get to participate in any of the sort of, like, crazy magic shit. The reindeer games. Because, yeah, they're... Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, she doesn't get to really participate in any of these reindeer games that all of the other students, that all of the, like the the students with funky colored hair, because she has normal colored yeah. hair, so she doesn't get to participate. Yeah. Um, and so, well, but the, like, she, Nami's little baby child has like really yellow blonde hair. Like, so you'd think he would be more of an important character. Now his hair is like a pretty normal color. I don't know. It seems kind of. It unnatural. looks, it's very blonde, but, like, I don't think that that's an, un, like, a, a like, like, Jury has an unnatural, mm. like, orange, like, her hair looks like it's made out of copper wire. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, whereas, like, I feel like there could be a person with hair that looks like Mitsuru. His hair is, Nanami's hair is more normal than his, though. But she's not normal in every other way, so I guess it balances No, out. she's not normal in any other way. And also, like, her hair, she has, like, very adventurous styled hair in terms of, like, it's very large and noticeable and, like, an aspect of her character in a way that, like, Wakaba just, like, has a ponytail. You know, like, it, it's clear that no effort went into drawing Wakaba's hair. Oh, Wakaba. I'm sorry, Wakaba. Um, but yes, uh, so, yeah, you feel, like, at first... Like, it feels like he's kind of on the cusp of redemption. Like, he actually is grateful to Akaba uh, for letting him hide yeah. out. Uh, he, but then he receives her, the tiniest opportunity to fuck her over it, in exchange for being readmitted to the school. And then it's just like, well, later. Yeah, so he's carving her a stupid little, like, leaf out of wood. And then Mikage shows up. He's like, all right, bucko. I'll let you back in school. All you gotta do is give me that leaf. <laughs> and then, and and then Mikaka gives the leaf to Anthe. And then... Yeah. And then, Just to, like, fucking so discord. And then, yeah. He's, the, he's, playing, he's the fucking he's playing, Joker like, 11, at 11, this point. 11-dimensional chess. Yeah. He knows Wakaba's gonna see Anthe wearing it. And... And... Uh... Sent her into a, into a spiral right to his psychology doorstep to become a duelist and... Fight Uten. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as soon as yeah, as soon as Mikage shows up um, with with a with a way to kind of restore Sayonji's status, Sayonji's like 
fuck you, Wakaba. And, and, and he's like, all right, lift off. What's it? He, he said something really. <laughs> when Wakaba shows up to pull the sword out of his chest, when he's, when he's putting his uniform back on and packing up and like singing to himself about how he's going to be back in the student council. What does he say? He says something very funny. I don't know. Okay, never mind. That's not important. I have no idea. Uh, and then episode. I was I was sitting there sadly waiting for you to remember <laughs> what it was. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. Uh, after that is Keiko, who is one of Nanami's little um, kind of minions. She has these three girls who kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's like this episode is like full mean girls. Like yeah. it's full mean girls. The anime. Yeah. So like she has these three girls who are just like her her minions. Um, and one of them is actually in love with her brother, Tuga, the sociopath. Uh, and then... They're all in love with Tuga, but she's the mm. one with the courage to go for it. Yeah, I guess so. And so... Because they all want to be close to Nanami exclusively because Nanami is Tuga's brother. And that might give them the opportunity to, like, right. I don't know, gather a, a lock of his hair and clone another Tuga. Right, 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 right. Um... Well, I think they were into her before they realized that. There's a little back flashback of like how they all, oh yeah, how, yeah, how the yeah, gang yeah. Got they, together. they're all following her, and they're like, nobody in this school compares to you. So yeah, and they then, had they yeah. had little girl crushes on Nanami. Then they they realized she was the sister of Tuga, and were like, holy shit, squared, um, and then became minions. But anyway, yeah. I mean, I and I feel like I feel like another difference, like to talk about the Mean Girls thing, but to, a difference between Nanami and Sayonji and why I like Sayonji as a character and why I don't really like Nanami as a character is that I feel like I've known like a million people who are exactly like Sayonji. Like, I feel like that's just a whole fucking category of person. And I don't I don't feel like I've ever met an individual yeah, I mean, like Nanami. Nanami. I don't Nanami feel like much people more, like Nanami actually. Nanami is much more of a caricature. Yeah, I don't feel like people like Nanami actually exist. Like, she's uh, like, so like, fucking evil. Yeah, Whereas, she, like, dudes like, she, just, she's like, constantly beat their girlfriends because like, they treat the, them like oh, objects. Ho, ho, anime laugh uh, for, yeah. like, the most mundane but, like, And, like, Sayonji is, to a certain extent, a caricature of of the sort of dude that he is. But it sort of, it feels like, it feels like he's sort of an exaggerated representation of a kind of person that there are a lot of. Whereas Nanami feels like an exaggerated representation of a kind of person that there are a lot of in anime you know and not in real life yeah yeah at least sayonji is much more grounded representation yeah like i totally buy sayonji like i I fucking like we've like every every year we see like two or three dudes exactly like sayonji have meltdowns on twitter Like we, we were joking before before we recorded this, like a few weeks ago, that if we were that like of about what kinds of like right wing YouTube channels Tuga and uh, and Sionji would have, um, if, if like if if this took place in modern times, right. and like Toga would like absolutely have, like like he would kind of I, I imagine him as like Paul Joseph Watson, where he's like just very like he's like very. Obs- very like sort of upstanding and like you know speaks very properly and like is or or one of those guys who's like really obsessed with the idea of like class and like traditionalism and stuff like that like maybe like a richard spencer type uh, dude is like tuga and like sayonji is just like some like fucking crazy black-pilled motherfucker posting long ass threads on r slash incels <laughs> like he's just like he's just completely out of control you know like he's just he's just put, just like telling people to lie down and rot on wizard chan like he's like that's Sayanji. <laughs> oh God, what a yeah, Sayanji. Uh, yeah, he he he's a real doomer. 
Uh, so let's see, our, 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 our Richard Spencer though. Um, so, so yeah, so he's been, he's been sulking ever since the end of the student council arc when, when, um, Utena beat him and we're not like, and so he's just kind of like, he's just on the outskirts. Um, and that's why Nanami has taken over his spot in the student council. Um, but then Keiko sees him wandering around in the rain without an umbrella, just doing his little woe is me shtick. She's like, this is my chance. My one chance. I didn't interpret it as his woe is me shtick. I interpreted it as him. It, it, like as this, like as the exact sort of like just weird sort of like toxic posturing masculinity that leads people to not wear masks uh, during a pandemic of just like oh I don't need an umbrella I'm a real man I'm gonna it. walk home and get fucking soaked. That could be it. And so she she sidles over with her umbrella, um, doki doki all the way, uh, and then of course the Nami sees this them walking together under one yeah. umbrella. Uh, and then we get this is where we get full mean girls and then she gets put in anami's burn book yeah and anami is like you are stripped of all clubs rights responsibilities you vermin um and she just you parasite she's, yeah she throws Keiko. you bong jun ho's parasite parentheses 2019 <laughs> under the under the bus and her and the, uh, the two remaining minions immediately blacklist her as well yeah, uh, it's yeah. and then, uh, and then yeah, she she goes to therapy, becomes a dualist, loses, and then yeah, Utena and Himimi are kind of like watching the the people watching the next morning, and uh, Keiko is back together with with the Nami and her other girls, all acting as though nothing happened, uh, and then Utena says something like, uh, "How can she just go back to?" go back to that like it's like nothing happened uh, yeah. and, then, and then Auntie says something really weird about like how when, you, oh, when yeah. you're in love you'll, screenshot of this. you'll just oh, repeatedly yeah. lie to yourself in order yeah. to like make it possible be with the one that you love uh, yeah. and so yeah so here we got another part where it just like everything's papered over nothing no, no actual growth was achieved um, we just kind of buried buried all our feelings in the ground again yeah and i it, it makes me wonder if like this is gonna be a topic of the rest of the show or if this is just like what the show thinks of as like a healthy emotional life is where you no, don't think about your problems um, i think i think i think 23 kind of kind of speaks to this um but and I think, yeah, I mean, I think that the show definitely doesn't think that this is a healthy way, given that the way that you uh, deal with your emotional problems like this is that you get into a spooky elevator full of coffins, and then a weird guy tells you to revolutionize the world, which doesn't seem like a productive method of therapy. Yeah, um, this, this, yeah. This is, therapy is not always like this. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I feel like this show definitely thinks that this is an unproductive way to go about dealing with your emotions. Yeah, but that's that's episode twenty one, episode twenty two. Okay, so we're also we're almost the end of the Black Rose arc. We've had about we've had about like eight or nine episodes of people trying to kill Anthe, and the student council is finally like people are trying to kill Anthe. Maybe we should do something about that. Yeah, so 22 is, like, largely a flashback episode. Uh, but first, there's a train on top of Minas Tirith. Uh, so whenever I see the weird student council, like, 
area where they all sit out in the open air and get rained on. There's oh there's yeah, that weird fuck, view. Yeah. that weird view where you see over the edge of like the pavilion down into like the forest. Minas Tirith sounds like some Lord of the Rings. It shit. is. I mean, that's what that's is what it, it is. Yeah. Uh, it looks exactly like Minas Tirith. <laughs> this weird like spiky uh, um, outcropping. If Al- listen, readers at home, <laughs> if Alex ever tells you that she's not a nerd remember this conversation <laughs> no we're gonna we're gonna like just, just i'm gonna become a rose duelist and forget this ever happened <laughs> and so they're sitting they're chilling up there wondering why everyone's wanting to kill anthea and whether whether they should give half a shit about this and there's trains passing by up there? Yeah, just no, not not even a, an invisible train <laughs> with a visible crossing marker, but like it's really loud and you can't barely hear the dialogue. Yeah, and then and then Nanami says something, and then like that scene just ends with Jiri saying, "Sorry, I couldn't hear you." <laughs> yeah, there's another just like bizarre. This show, like, I it it has such a hard time taking itself seriously <laughs> because it's so goofy. Obviously, it's like there's like, a couple of episodes earlier. There's a bit. Where they're all standing out during the student council meeting. This is in the in the Misuru episode, and they're all just like standing out on this like fucking open platform. It's pouring rain, and they all have umbrellas. And, it, and I'm just like, you know, maybe you wouldn't have to get wet while having your student council meeting if perhaps the student council room could be inside. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. You know. Um, so yeah, I have no idea if the, what the point of the train was. If there's any point, if anything has a point anymore uh and then mikage and utena interact for the first time um he's like uh, hello uh i'm ayn rand in my seminar the mikage seminar is after those who with individualistic personalities uh and he invites utena to join his seminar and she's like i'm not smart i can't go to a smart person seminar he's like no we're interested in assholes <laughs> <laughs> there's like a bizarre interaction that they have where he where she's like oh i don't know if i'd want to go there and then he's just like well you know he like pulls his like second gambit and he's like you know i'm actually extremely attracted to you <laughs> and, I'm, and, and 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 she's just like that's a weird thing to say oh i think that's in 23 <laughs> That uh, might be in 23, like yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm intensely interested in you, and I want to become friends. She's like, she's like, wow, that's kind of forward, isn't it? Um, but, yeah, so then after after he tells Utena about the history of the Namuro Memorial Hall, where 100 strapping young lads died and were buried uh, during, back in the day, also, like, it's so strange that they specifically, they hammer over and over again the 100 young lads. And then only, like, eight, and, like, like it's clear that, like, the coffins are the coffins of those young lads. Right. And, like, the rings are t- were taken from those young lads. But then they run out of rings after, like, eight people. Oh, maybe... You told me you had 100. Well, maybe, they, maybe, maybe, well, they died in the fire, so maybe they only had a few rings preserved or lads preserved do you think rings burn in a fire they're certainly all all scorched that's why they're black Uh, yeah that's why they're black but they don't like you're not gonna like in a house fire you're not gonna create temperatures usually especially like i I can can imagine maybe like lost in the in the debris 
in the debris. debris. I don't know. Let's 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 not. Okay, it's not true. But look, I, all I'm saying is they could have said eight boys were lost in the fire, and I would have bought. <laughs> that would be nearly as as intense, though. Or just have Utena fight a hundred people. Like <laughs> pick one oh, or the God, other. But you can't tell me a hundred of these episodes. Please. Like, well, then it might have been interesting because then maybe Utena would have had to fight multiple dudes at once oh, or something shit. like that. Like, you know, like like maybe it could have been cool or interesting, but instead they chose to make the same fucking exact episode over and over and over again for twelve episodes, yeah. and then again for another twelve episodes. Yeah. Um. So we get the flashback of oh, Nakage was also was 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 adult before, so he was like a. Uh, a young. It's a, yeah. I had to read the plot synopsis to figure out what the fuck happened. So he was a young professor at the school, uh, and he got roped into this weird research project that was extremely secretive and to try to find eternity. Find, find eternity. Then uh, this inspector named tokiko uh shows up to like where she where she came from we don't know but she's i'm glad that you remember what happened in this she's coming in to like see how work is progressing she invites mikage over uh and they seem to sort of hit it off and then mikage sees her little brother uh, mamiya who looks Gosh, awfully like Anthe. Um, and then, so he kind of like he, he his colleagues describe him as like a computer. He seem, he's very emotionless and doesn't seem to have friends. And then, um, and so he he seems to kind of finally have found people he cares about with Tokiko and Mamiya. Uh <sighs> Mamiya has some sort of terminal illness, and then that finally gives him the kind of the drive to to th- actually care about his research because maybe maybe finding eternity will help uh, keep little Mamiya alive. Uh, but if then 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 let's see then weird things happen and everyone and the whole the whole research hall catches fire. And they'll die. <laughs> I lost. I lost the thread of that. Uh, uh, yeah, I episode. couldn't fucking. I couldn't because, like, especially because because the primary way that I differentiate between people in the show is by the color of their hair. <laughs> and then when the when the building was burning down, you couldn't. Everything was the same color because it was all no. that, like orange color. So I couldn't fucking tell who was who or who was talking to anybody. Yeah. So so then it then it appears that Mamiya. Uh, set the fire for some reason it was believed that that was a necessary step in revolutionizing the world and finding eternity and Tokiko is horrified um, and this and, and and bails but apparently the the eternity experiment worked to some degree because uh, Mikage is the same age or younger now, many years later, and Mamiya is the same age or younger. So they, they've somehow kind of been preserved in amber. Uh, and at the end of the episode, I, um, Tokiko, like, 
shows up to talk to Akio, Anthe's older brother, and she's clearly older. Uh, and she's like, you look the fucking same too. Um, and so clearly, yeah, Akio is also has some weird um, eternity juice spilled on him. But we don't really know. Eternity juice? What? Because <laughs> yeah, Akio hasn't aged either. Uh, is this like the Tang from Eva? Yeah. Is this show going to end with everyone melting in a tank? I have no fucking clue what's going on. I've barely been able to follow your plot summary. Uh, well, I... Look. 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 Me neither. Join the club. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. Episode 22 is kind of like... I The gist, I guess, is that Mikage and Mamiya somehow... Like sacrificed one thousand strapping young lads in order to. I thought it was one thousand strapping young lads. <laughs> one That's... million strapping young lads, in order to one, like nine billion fold strapping young lad curry. The first step towards eternity, and now they've been trying to kill uh, him and Mia this whole time, in order so that um, uh, him and Mia, so that Mamiya the, the the boy can take her place, uh, enter into the castle in the sky, get um, seize the power Your, of the studio Ghibli seize film? the power of Dios and and truly um, uh, achieve eternity. Whatever that means. God, I yeah, this show is so confusing. Nah. I don't. <laughs> yeah so that's yeah so 23 now uh oh god that was just 22 22 fuck so now 23 utena um oh yeah yeah 23 is when uh, mikage pops up in the greenhouse like utena i'm extremely horny for you let's let's chill and she's like uh that's what she's like uh that's a weird thing to say uh but she pops into to his um his Namuro Memorial Hall. Anyway, his his last name is Mamuro. It's named after him because he supposed he was. Um, they, everyone everyone thinks he died because somehow he erased the memory of his past self. Uh, so um, she shows up, and while she's waiting to talk to him. She's, she's looking at all the pictures on the wall, doing her, doing her, doing her crunches. Uh, and she's like, wait a fucking minute. Wait just one hot minute. These are all photographs of my friends as Black Rose duelists. Well, how, who, how, who, what? And so Mikaga comes out. And he's like, pretty good pictures, huh? Uh, yeah, that's like, why would you keep? those pictures on the wall of the waiting room of your uh, psychology institution, alleged psychology then, institution. Like, then, why would you... Yeah, then this is where he tries to explain what the frickity frick was going on with the the Black Rose duelists. He says something that, like, they had these... They were holding on to these memories. They, they fought to preserve those memories. Um, and he says, then, then, like me, you should be able to then he says, Utena, you're special. 
uh like me yeah they give the classic like we're we're not so different you, you and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. like me you should be able to make your memories uh eternal and so, <laughs> and so uh i was like he's a fucking horcrux um like in like in the second harry potter when like the old the the the, the baby like teenage voldemort is like emerges from the from the, the book of memories and goes around haunting things uh does yeah that like so somehow somehow like mikage's like either attachment to the past or desire for uh, an imagined past has somehow placed him in this in this stasis uh, yeah i all of this stuff and I, while I was watching this, there was stuff that I liked, and I like these episodes in concept. But I, by the time that I got to these episodes, I was so burnt out on the idea of paying attention to this show, <laughs> and I was also so, like, it's such a weird, hard break from what the show has yeah, been previously. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I just I would have liked this show if it was twenty six episodes long and it was this the whole time. Right. But it's it's not. It's just. And maybe that's what the second half of the show will be because we still got another fucking twenty something episodes to watch. Right. So it tend, it tend to fucking uh, um, just lays him out, just decks the motherfucker, um, and he's doing his, his. He's still on his villain shtick, even when she's like got him in a arm lock. Uh, he's like, you never wish, you never stop wishing that your your memories uh, can be made eternal, and so like. Weirdly enough, I started getting like cowboy bebop um, p- parallels of like characters being kind of imprisoned by their past. Because uh, cowboy bebop is all like each of the main each of the main characters is basically trapped in their past in some way. And so with Mikage here, like his he's stuck in the past because he's tr- he's trying to save Mamiya. Um, Utena is stuck in the past because of she's like this her obsession with this this prince character, and so I'm hoping that like at the end she'll realize that she like 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 she like that experience kind of influenced her growth, but that doesn't define her. And she can kind of like break free of that and, and not keep waiting around for her princess show up and, and actually just do whatever the fuck she wants. Um, yeah, I definitely think that that's, that that's where this is going. And if it's not, I will be insanely disappointed. Yeah. Uh, and s- because it's, it's kind of obvious um, in terms, in terms of what to, especially in terms of, of, both the sort of twin things, the sort of twin themes that this game keeps bringing up, which is the idea of revolutionizing the world and the idea of there's no such thing as something eternal. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the idea, like the idea of there being no such thing as something eternal. And that's also like a super Buddhist idea, you know, and like whether or I, I'm definitely interested in whether or not this, this show like accepts or rebuts that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what stance it takes on it and like the idea of like the past is past and that you know the future is still coming and clinging on to the past is sort of is sort of useless you know the only you know 
uh, you you have having having all, all of this sort of like desperately trying to, to reclaim the past is like well the past is already gone like that experience is already is already dead it's already the, it's not eternal you can't stay in the past forever and then also the idea of revolutionizing the world and the idea of revolution is like a hard break mm. from the past yeah. the idea of revolution yeah. as as like being something that you do to 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 sort of put a put a sort of chapter break in history and start something new right uh, and that kind of that kind of made sense of, of like each of each of the black rose duelists um was like i guess trying to um avoid realizing that like a memory of theirs or something that like something in their past was like misleading or less idyllic than they thought it was and refusing to kind of realize that like either their the relationship either their relationships are changing or or their relationship never was what they thought it was and just avoiding acknowledging that and instead trying to kind of reify their wishful thinking into into yeah. reality uh and like yeah and Mikage, yeah he he um does is does the same thing he, re- he kind of refuses to we we find out at the very end that the flashback in episode 22 was highly misleading because he actually doesn't remember things correctly uh, he like his his memory of of his own past is has, is is already uh warped by his own kind of wishful thinking because we realize that he was the one who burned down the seminar building, not Mamiya. Uh, and, and, and Mamiya actually didn't look like he thought he did. Uh, he some, he somehow kind of superimposed Athi onto Mamiya, uh, which, which like you, like there, there was kind of a, you could have realized when in episode 22, when we saw Tokiko and Mamiya together, like, they don't look related. Um, Tokiko is white or or Japanese, uh, whereas Mamiya was very clearly set like Southeast Asian. Uh, and then once uh, Utena beats Makige and his the kind of the scales fall from his eyes, we see that Mamiya was just an, another little Japanese boy uh, who didn't look anything like he his memory kind of um invented and then we find out that mamiya has been dead for quite some time uh like he did the he did not manage to uh like preserve him in amber to keep him from dying of that of whatever illness he had uh mamiya is dead and mikage literally imagined him back into being uh, because of his his refusal to like come to terms with his own past, and he yeah, so like uh, if he start he starts he starts uh, like he starts also superimposing Tokiko onto Utena, uh, and so he, at some point he says yeah he's he's muttering to himself after she punches his lights out and before they start dueling he says all she does is hurt and surprise me tokiko really has come back because uh, yeah like he he like his his f- frame for processing everything is like the past he can't actually see 
Utena as her own person. Um, and then when they're dueling, he's, he starts having like a little like internal dialogue with Mamiya, uh, who says like, you will never beat my sister who dwells in your memories. And that's, and I think that's when we like the, the illusion is lifted and we start to see what Mamiya really looks like. And, and we see that like the true memory of him setting fire to the institution uh, and and then he just uh, I don't know what happens to Mikage after that after he gets defeated by uh, Utena. I'm not sure that it's clear. Yeah. Uh, and because um, because because yeah, like uh, yeah, then because Utena defeats him, and then we cut to Akio, Anthony's older brother. Uh, talking to Mikage, but but Mikage we don't see him we don't so we don't know exactly like how this dialogue is happening uh and akio kind of gives us the lowdown he's like the the he's like mamiya was the or the mamiya you know who was produced by your lingering regret over tokiko actually died a long time ago but you treasured that illusion of memory so much that it stopped time for you uh and then uh time kind of like does a hard reset and Utena and Miki are walking around looking for Anthe and they pass by Nomoro Memorial Hall, which is yeah, the a burnt, burnt down, down building. Ruin. And they're like, what is this place? And Miki's like, it was, I forget what it's called, but it burned down years ago. <laughs> so like his, 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 uh, his kind of reality distortion field was so strong that it like, cre- like created a, a a building where there wasn't one, but now the illusion is over. And yeah, and you can also definitely in this in this sense see uh, Makage as like a dark mirror of Utena as they're both sort of obsessed with preserving a memory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I mean, the show like definitely we're not so different, like, like you and I. Yeah, in the we're not so different, you and I. Uh, um, you know, and then that, of course, makes you, w- w- with the fact that Mikage stops holding on to this memory and it, it stops holding N- Nomura Memorial Hall um, in in the past and allows it to continue to the present, then, um, you know, one has to wonder what might happen if Utena ever lets go of this memory yeah. or ever realizes that her memory is false. Right, right, right. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. <laughs> And then the, the episode ends with um, uh, Akio doing his like little monologue to Mikage about um, how his how his memories, his like inability to let go of the past. His anyway, anyway. He, so he's talking to Mikage, uh, kind of like laying out what happened for him and for the viewers. And then uh, Mamiya is standing in front of him, and then turns into Anthony. And then episode ends. <gasps> so like I'm not sure exactly uh, what the 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 import of that is. I mean, I assume given given like the sort of reveal from episode 13 to the end of the student council arc that then like uh foreshadowed like Akio's like sort of appearance in the second arc, I imagine that this is going to become important later and uh right now all we can do is speculate. Love it. Let's speculate. Uh I have no idea what to speculate. <laughs> I have no fucking clue how this show works or what is happening in it. Uh, I'm just along for Hell the ride. Yeah. Well, that ride is going to continue next month with 
the yes. rest of the show. So I think I think and yeah. adolescence, or is that going to have to be pushed and, off to the pre- next month? Oh, I think we. I think we can watch both. I think we can watch the show and adolescence. And adolescence is going to be. I mean, like this episode, we've already been recording for over two hours, um, and the, like the from how weird I've know I know adolescence of Atina is. Our next step podcast episode is going to be four hours long. Like we're fucking we're reaching friends at <laughs> the table length here. Like we're we're it's going to be our, yeah it's going to be absolutely out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, and I mentioned this last episode when we were talking about Utena, but before we watched Utena, literally the only thing that I knew about Utena was from Adolescence of Utena, and it was Utena turning into a car and then saying, it's a big mistake to think you're the only one who can turn into a car. I'm a car now too. And I, that was literally, that's from Adolescence of Utena. I have no fucking, like, for watching the first half of the show has made that even more confusing. Uh, so we'll... And 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 friend of the show Bobby Newmark, uh, inform like, but when we said we were only going to watch the first half for the first episode, they were like, "Oh, you're the second. The second episode is going to be like way different than the first episode, huh?" Um, so I'm I'm just I'm just I I have dread. <laughs> you have dread. I have dread. I'm living in dread. Uh, anyway, Alex, you have a book I to recommend? I do. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't until I watched episode 23, because, like, I still haven't been able to, like, actually power through proper novels recently. But, uh, now that I was like, oh, 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 I'm getting huge, um, vibes of All Men Are Mortal by, uh, Simone de Beauvoir, which is, uh, one of her novels. And it's, a, it, and it's about, um, like memory and eternity and immortality. And uh, I thought about it during one of Mikage's kind of monologues where it seemed that the show was kind of, kind of identifying immortality with stagnation and like eternity for, at least for Mikage was kind of fixing, fixing everything to a, like this idyllic moment in the past and never changing it from there. Uh, and uh, All Men Are Mortal isn't quite that, but it, the idea of immortality as stagnation, I th- it, I think it, I, it, it kind of touches on that. So the basic gist is that it starts uh, in, I think, the 60s with this, um, this woman who's a singer, and all she wants is to have some measure of immortality. She uh, she, she, her, the idea of her, of her, her legacy, her work being forgotten is terrifying to her. And so she meets this man who claims to be, uh, immortal and he convinces her that she is. And she realizes then that if she can get him to remember her as long as he lives, which is forever, that is effectively immortality that, uh, as long as he remembers her, she, there, there'll be a part of her that, 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 that never dies. Um, but he's like, he ends up telling her his story, um, how he kind of became immortal in like the 13th century as like a warlord. Uh, and then he killed the man who made the immortality potion so that no one else could have it so that he would be the only one with that power. And then kind of, gradually uh 
over the course of history realize what a fucking mistake that was uh, because he keeps he keeps like meeting people who he wants to kind of like spend his life with um, and then realizing that he can't because they're mortal and he's not uh, and so it's just this kind of cycle repeating of him finding someone who he cares about um, beginning sort of beginning a life with them desperately trying to like recreate immortality somehow failing and then them either dying or leaving him and the cycle continues and then it, it ends with him finishing telling his story of doing this kind of like who knows how many times over the course of history and then he leaves uh the singer and walks away to kind of do it again and she just kind of is is paralyzed by existential horror uh and a lot of a lot of the philosophical examinations of immortality that i've read often kind of imagine it just being you who's immortal and no one else and like then then they're like oh immortality is gonna suck and like no shit if you're like kind of existentially alone like that uh it's gonna suck it's not because of the immortality it's because of the aloneness um and so his kind of like repeating the cycle of finding people and being forced to abandon them um kind of reminded me of this the 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 kind of the stagnation that mikage feels like trying to trying to um grab like a a, like like a happy moment of the past and and refusing to accept that that things change Uh, yeah i mean that's like a very sort like existentialist thing to point out is like the idea that you are yourself not just because of yourself but because of your relationships with other people and if you persist beyond those then your who you are changes yeah. So what was the what was the title of it all? All Men Are Mortal by Simone de Beauvoir. Um, so what I'm not gonna recommend, and all of this talk about wanting to recreate the past and being stuck in the past and stuck in imagining it just makes me want to recommend it, but I won't because I know everybody's already read it. Is The Great Gatsby by S. Hey! Catherine Fitzgerald. Uh, I will not rec- be recommending The Great Gatsby, but if you haven't read The Great Gatsby, it's, it's awesome. Oh, it's you should read it. Uh, yeah, it's a really really killer book. It's and short. It is. It infuriates me to no end that the great gatsby has become this like symbol for like 20s nostalgia given how it much hates the great gatsby hates 20 it hates nostalgia and it specifically hates it anticipates and hates in advance nostalgia for the period in which it is written <laughs> like it is it is a book about like how much like the jazz age sucks uh, and how everybody who benefited from it is is like has ha- will in the future retrospectively paint it as this sort of glorious time when it absolutely was yeah. not. Um, you know, like like oh, the Great Gatsby's so fucking good. Like they read, they make you read it in high school for a reason. And if you hated it in high school, read it again uh, because I I guarantee you that when you're not being forced to read it, you will probably like it more. Um, Anyway, the thing that I'm actually going to recommend has fucking nothing to do with Utena. It's just the most recent book that I finished. Um, and it's nowhere near as good as The Great Gatsby, but it is good. Uh, it is Into the Raging Sea, 33 Mariners, 1 Megastorm, and the Sinking of El Pharaoh by Rachel Slade. Oh. Um, so I have a story to tell about this book, which is which Alex already knows. So, uh, But for our listeners, so I, because of the... So I was taking an acting class over the spring semester... And because of the 
pandemic, the hell nightmare that we're all trapped in, the acting class sort of morphed halfway through into a playwriting class. Um, and for the, the last thing that we had to do is we had to write a, like, one-act play. Um, and I fucking procrastinated on this for ages, and then it, I was, and this is genuinely how I had the idea to make, the, to, to do this, was that I was listening to the Slint album Spiderland, and there was a song on that album called Good Morning Captain about uh, a shipwreck. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, it'd be cool to write a play about a shipwreck. Um, and so then I started, I intended to write about a fictional shipwreck, and, but to get inspiration, I decided to go on some Wikipedia pages related to shipwrecks. And there's a Wikipedia page for the phrase, the captain goes down with the ship, um, where it talks about the origins of that concept and phrase and, and sort of, and there's also a list on it of notable examples of times when captains have gone down the ships and notable examples of times when captains have not gone down the ships. And there were some of these that I knew. Like, I remember, like, the Costa Concordia, which was that cord- that cruise ship in Italy that just, like, fucking, like, tipped over. And then the captain was just like, I'm oh. out of here, and just left. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. Um, that wasn't even that long ago, was it? Yeah, that was, like, tw- 2014, But, like, it feels like, a, it feels uh, like 20 years ago. If, it feels like forever ago. I think about that particular one a lot, because there's a car seat headrest song about uh. that. Uh, called the Ballad of the Costa Concordia, <laughs> uh, but I so I think I, I remember the Costa Concordia pretty well. Uh, but this one, so this also happened. This happened in 2015. The cargo ship El Faro went down in the uh, the hurricane uh, Hurricane Joaquin, which was a a sort of very strange hurricane, which I'll get into. But so I was reading through all of these, and I, I read about El Faro, and there was one particular moment. So, like, on the, pa- the page where the captain goes down with the ship, it talks about... Let me see if I can find the exact wording. So, under under examples, it basically says... It says, uh, October 2nd, 2015, Captain Michael Davidson, master of the cargo ship El Faro, was recorded on the Voyage Data Recorder, encouraging the ship's helmsman, frozen by fear and exhaustion, to join him in abandoning the vessel before rec- the recording ended with both of still on the bridge of the sinking ship. And I, and I fucking... I read that and I was like, oh, that that is an amazing final scene for a play. <laughs> uh, that, is a, that is an amazing just sort of narrative. And so I started reading about the SSL Pharaoh on the Wikipedia page. And like after I read the Wikipedia page for it, I just became obsessed with this fucking boat. And I knew that I had to write the play about this specific ship. Um, so... To do research about this, I, I used two sources. One, my primary source was this book, Into the Raging Sea. Um, and then my secondary source was the 26 hour long, like 500 page long transcript of the 26 hour long recording on the Voyage Data Recorder (laughs) that recorded literally every single conversation that happened on this ship. And you can search through it. It's just like, it's a searchable PDF and you could just like go through the whole thing. And it's so fucking crazy. (laughs) It is... So I just became absolutely obsessed with this. So I don't, I don't actually think Into the Raging Sea is like that great of a book. Um, there are choices. It has that very sort of like written by a journalist kind of writing mm. style that I don't really like that much. But it doesn't matter that the writing isn't that great because the story is so weird. <laughs> and the story is so good that like it, doesn't, it almost doesn't matter how badly you tell it. It's still a good story. Um, so... So El Faro was a one of two cargo ships that was owned by this shipping company called Tote. 
um, and they did the run between Jacksonville, uh, and it was El Faro and El Junque, uh, and they did the run between Jacksonville, Florida, and Puerto Rico, um, and, like, you know, they would basically go back and forth, go back and forth between them taking stuff from Puerto Rico and bringing supplies and stuff to Puerto Rico, uh, and these ships were both quite old, they were built in the 1970s, and they were... Uh, they were what is called roll-on, roll-off cargo ships. So, like, most cargo ships that are built today are built for containerization. They're built to be loaded by cranes that take uh, shipping containers off of trucks and then put them on, and, like, they use computers to, like, mathematically calculate exactly how to how to do it. And, like, there are, like, really cool places, like, in the, in the London docks. Like, they have, like, a fully automated crane system where, like, literally they just have, like, a big pile and, like, the cranes, like, figure out exactly what order to put everything in on. It's super dope. Um, but these were built long before containerization was popular. Um, and so they were originally built for basically the competing system to containerization, which is roll on, roll off, which is where the boat has an entrance sort of roughly at ground level that trucks can drive into and then offload their stuff. And then the trucks drive off and leave their cargo. And then when the ship is unloaded, the trucks get on and then they, they take their cargo, they take their cargo with them. Um, this kind of ship is very bad for if you don't want your ship to sink which you generally don't <laughs> generally um because and the problem with it is fairly obvious which is that uh, a roll on roll off ship has giant fucking holes in the side of the ship um which is bad and these holes are supposed to be watertight but it's hard to make a giant hole in the side of a ship watertight uh and so sometimes it doesn't happen um but the so the real batshit stuff starts once the journey actually starts, because the captain of the ship is this guy named Michael Davidson, and he is just, like, a fucking perfect character in himself. Like, he is just, like, this bizarre... He's a very strange man. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he... So, if you're a, a mariner in the Caribbean, the way that you get updates during hurricane season, especially, the way that you get weather updates is from the National Weather Service, and specifically the National the National Hurricane Center. And they will send you, like, via fax on a dot matrix oh, printer, yeah. a, like, printout of all of the hurricanes and tropical storms that they're tracking, their current positions, and where they predict that they're going to go. This is kind of clunky, because what you have to do is, is you have to know how to read interpret these charts, and then you have to go over to your ship's map room, and you have to plot out the positions of everything manually in order to be able to see where the hurricanes are and where they're going. So there are lots of companies that sell uh, commercial weather systems, and one of those is Bon Voyage <laughs> Systems, which sells this very friendly... Um, like computerized system for weather tracking and what they do and basically what all these commercial weather services do is they take the National Weather Service's broadcasts, they put them through their own systems and then they publish them again later as their own broadcasts. Um, you know, it's a fantastic example of how sort of like like the, the sort of bizarre privatization of American industry mm -hmm. uh, and the way that like all of these companies just basically wouldn't exist if it weren't for the free weather reports that were constantly put out by the National mm -hmm. Weather Service. Um, but um, but the problem is, is that the National Hurricane Center puts out hurricane warnings hourly. Um, bon Voyage Systems only puts out hurricane warnings every six hours, um, which is fine for most hurricanes, but Hurricane Joaquin was not most hurricanes. It was very weird. Um, it started off, it, like, it started off it, as a kind of storm where they didn't actually expect it to become a hurricane, and then over the course of, like, 12 hours, it became a Category 4. Baby. Like, it, it, and it, these types of hurricanes are notoriously hard to predict. 
um, you know, like, like these sorts of hurricanes that just very rapidly intensify from, like, tropical depressions that don't seem important all the way to Category 4 hurricanes. They're, these are notoriously hard to predict, notoriously dangerous. Um, there was an additional problem, which was that the people at Bon Voyage Systems accidentally published the same weather report twice, um, uh. six hours apart, um, as though it was the new one. Mm. Um and so, uh, Captain Davidson of this boat, he only used Bon Voyage systems. He didn't really know how to read <laughs> how to the read. National <laughs> Hurricane Centers. He didn't really know how to read. Um, he didn't really know how. He didn't really know how to read the NHC reports. Um, so he relied on his crewmates, on, on like his his the deck officers who did know how to read it to to read and interpret them. And Bon Voyage systems also was it, it had a lot of user interface design things that made it seem very confident in in its in its predictions you know it was like this is where the hurricane's going to go whereas the national hurricane center was like well this is where we think the hurricane's going to go it might also go here there's some error bars you know stuff like that bon voyage is just like no the hurricane's going to go here um and so essentially what captain michael davidson did was he despite the fact that the crew like every hour on the hour they kept getting more and more fucking dot matrix printer faxes from the national hurricane center being like hey uh there's a hurricane it's growing it's like right in front of you and they kept like plotting it on the thing and being like we're sailing directly into a hurricane and captain michael davidson was just like ah (laughs) and then they sailed into a hurricane and everybody on board died um and it's the only time that a u.s flagged container ship has ever sank uh and and there's even more to this story because, like, part of the reason why he uh, why he did this was because a few months prior, there was a hurricane warning that there might be something to worry about on his normal route. And so he went out of his way and went through just to, just to be safe and make sure that the ship didn't, didn't sink. Uh, and so he went out of his way and took longer to get to the destination. And then Tote, the company that owned the boat, yelled at him. Uh, and he already had a bunch of worries about basically everybody on this boat like kind of knew they were about to get fired because yeah. the the Elfaro was one of like the last like steamships ever built and it was one of the last ones still in operation since you know since the 1970s the industry has largely shifted over to like liquid natural gas ships uh powered powered <laughs> ships and they were building two new ones to replace El Faro and El Junque and Captain Davidson as long as well as a bunch of the other people who worked on El Faro had applied for positions on these new liquid natural gas ships and were denied them and so many of them suspected that they were probably going to get sacked um and so in an attempt to avoid uh pissing off the higher-ups and getting sacked earlier than he otherwise what knew he was going to he sailed directly into a hurricane and killed 33 people including himself including himself yeah um but yeah there's so like this book has so much detail in it um it's it's it like there's so much more to the story. It, tell, it talks about all of the people individually and what they were like. There's so much, just like there. There's just and and it also includes a bunch of the dialogue. So if you, unlike me, are not interested in reading 500 pages of voyage <laughs> data recorder transcript, um, then you can get a really good idea of like the way that these people talked and the way that and like the sort of the sorts of things that they were saying. And I, when I was writing this play, I used a ton of the dialogue from that just sort of verbatim because the way that these people speak is so like there are certain things that they say that that are just like ready-made theater 
You know, like these people, some of these, some of these folks that give monologues in this fucking transcript. That's it's incredible. It's out of control. Um, but yeah, it's it, this story is it pulls in just so much, and there's also a lot of detail in the book that's just not about that's not just about this boat. Like it's sort of in, in alternating chapters, we'll talk about what's going on in the boat, and then it will provide sort of history and mm-hmm. context for why this mm-hmm. happened you know like why was this boat still in service you know when was this boat built who built it what were boats like back then like what is what are different design considerations that go into making a boat uh, and it goes into some pretty good technical detail that i really appreciated um but yeah it's it's just a, a bizarre story that is it's a great example of just how like these sort of freak incidents and like stuff stuff that seems very strange like sort of pulls in just aspects of society from just like all all sorts of stuff gets pulled into this story and becomes like part of the reason why this ship yeah. sank it's it's a very it's an it's i'm incredibly glad that i discovered this because this happened like this happened in 2015 like yeah. i was like a teenager and pe- watching the news like i was paying attention i had no fucking clue that this happened like, I didn't remember this, <laughs> right, right. you know, like my, my parents like kind of remembered it when I like pressed them and I was like, and I was like, yeah, it was like a cargo ship that went down in the Caribbean in 2015. And they were like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. And it's like, it's, it, it, and it's such, it, cause it's such an, a crazy story and it's such a, a, a you know, it's, it's such a weird thing that it happened and like 33 people died and like yeah, nobody yeah. remembers this. It's so, it, it's so weird. Anyway, um. I strongly, I, I do strongly recommend that you at, le- at the very least read the Wikipedia article about the El Faro. <laughs> but if you, if you like me, become obsessed with this, I recommend "Into the Raging Sea: Thirty Three Mariners, One Megastorm, and the Sinking of El Faro" by Rachel Slade. Yeah. All right. So next month, next month we're watching the second half of Utena, and we're watching I Lessons of Utena. We just said that. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Twitter. Dun dun dun. Uh, Mastodon, Catalina at selfie.army, selfie with a Y. Sometimes I stream on trash.cloud. Not Twitch anymore. We're better than we've tra- I've transcended. What about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at profit underscore goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at profit underscore goddess at skeleton.cool. You can find me on Twitch because I buy internet connection. We're working on it. Enough, uh, at twitch.tv slash profit underscore goddess. Uh, you can find my games at profitgoddess.ish.io, no underscore, and you can find the show on Twitter at Anime is for Jerks. You can find the show on Mastodon at Anime is for Jerks at Skeleton.cool. Uh, nobody sent us any mail about God this episode. Damn it. Uh, and you can email us. Please do email us uh, at animatorsfordricks at gmail.com. Whatever you send us an email about, we will probably read it either to answer your question or to make fun of you. It's your call. Um, it's, it's your call. Yeah. <laughs> Only you can prevent being mocked on a podcast. Um, so anyway, yeah, we'll see you guys next right. month. Bye. Bye.